do want to say happy Father's Day to all of our fathers in the room. Uh, son, this is your first Father's Day, and so uh, congratulations. As Luke said, get you a nap, get you a steak, get you whatever you want. Um, that's not sinful. And, um, <laughs> you know, Father's Day, uh, what tends to happen when men get around is we love to yell at men, don't we? Like, oh, you should be doing this better. Ah. And so here's my heart today for, I don't know what that voice was, um, for uh, all of our fathers, our men, really us in this room, is I don't want to call us out, but hear this, I do want to call us up. Because, um, friends, we're called to more. That's what I would tell you. It is so easy to drift into less when God has called us to more. Our lives... Even as Dave said, we have great purpose in our lives. We are agents in the kingdom of the king of the universe. We have great purpose. And so I do want to call us up. And as fathers, um, I, I remember when I became a father, the day that Hayes was born, I think we got a picture. And this is one of my favorite pictures because I had hair. And um, but I look at that picture and I'm like brought back to that moment, right? Like I'll never forget um, holding him and being so just this sense of like my life is never going to be the same because now I'm a father. I have this beautiful child to take care of, to raise, to invest in, all of these things. And the same is true for us today as Christians. So we're going to be in 2 John today, the book of 2 John. And listen, this is not a letter for fathers in this text today, but hear this. The apostle John is definitely writing as a spiritual father. And there's this key thing in the Christian faith. As you put your faith and your hope in Jesus and you say you want to follow him, you then have kind of this dual role in your life. Where, yes, you're a spiritual child, where you are seeking after and you're following your spiritual father. We're always spiritual children for the rest of our lives that are learning and growing and following. But also, friends, as a follower of Jesus, you have been sent out to make disciples and to also be a spiritual parent. Every person, man, woman, teenager, and child, if you put your faith in Jesus, God has called you out. He has sent you out to do a work, to invest in the next spiritual generation in front of us. In our passage today, we see this really clear thing from the Apostle John that's really in all of his letters on some of it. He has one aim, and here's the aim, that his spiritual children would walk in truth that his children spiritually would walk in truth. Listen, the way we walk is a sign of who our father is. And I know this because if you watch me walk and Hayes and Connor walk, you know who their father is. It's bow-legged Jason, right? Like there's a certain way that me and my boys walk that is unmistakable. And it's really cool and sexy. And so it's the way that we walk. It's a little bow-legged, but that's how God made us because there's this clear thing. They are my children. You can tell us because of the way they walk. And there's a way that we should walk as spiritual children of our spiritual father that should look different than the rest of the world. 
Our steps should be lighter because we're free in Christ. Our steps should be sure because we are on the foundation of the work of Jesus. There is a limp to the spiritual walk of a Christian because we know we've been saved from sin. See, our walk as spiritual children is not a strut because our walk is not based on how good we are, what we've done. Our walk is based on what our Father has done. And the Apostle John, he is just imploring really all throughout his letters that his spiritual children would walk in this different kind of way. That we would not walk in step with the world. And it's so easy now to be synced with the world and not the way of Jesus. Quick, quick context about this, this letter, 2 John, uh, written almost definitely by the, by the Apostle John. It is the second shortest book of the Bible with 245 Greek words. The next shortest is 3 John, which is 219 Greek words. It's probably written somewhere in Ephesus between 80, 80, and 95. So a long time ago. This is probably one of, the, one, of the, one of the last books written in the New Testament. And I imagine the Apostle Paul as like this really old man. And he's been saying the same things for year after year after year. But he still wants to say it one more time. He wants them to walk in truth. And so I wanted to find two things today. First, what is this truth? And second, how do we walk in it? So what is this truth? Go to 1 John real quick, because he's already kind of said what this truth is in his first letter in 1 John 1. This is the truth that John has given his life to. It's the reality that he lives his life off of. Verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, him and the disciples have seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, concerning Jesus. First, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Here is truth. Here is reality that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. He came down to get near to us in creation, not far away, but near. And he lived this perfect life as a substitute for us. He did die. John saw him die. But then John also, in reality, saw him rise again and then one day ascend to the Father. And then John also saw the Spirit come down and dwell the church and ignite the church to change the world. This truth, this reality is what John is repeating over and over and over again. Old man John cannot stop talking about this truth because it's the greatest truth, the greatest hope the world has ever seen. And friends, hear this today, that truth is real. And it's why we are here today. We didn't set up curtains for fun this morning. We set up curtains because the truth of the gospel is real. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. The truth is real. So the question for us today that John is after, and he teaches us in this passage, is how do we walk in that truth? How do we not just know that truth in our heads, but how do we apply it to every part of our lives? How do we walk in a way that is different from the rest of the world? 
how do we massage this truth so far down deep into our souls that it changes how we live? Whew, I'm excited this morning. All rested, all springy over here. Uh, I've got my new old navy jeans on. I mean, what more do you want in life? Adam said, I like I'm on the first day of school this morning. And so, um, but here, John, in this passage, he gives us three principles today for how we can follow and walk in this truth. He gives us a foundation for walking. He gives us a warning for how we should walk. And third, he gives us the mission for how we should proceed. So first, the foundation. Go to verse 12 in 2 John. He says here in verse 12, though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Go back to 1 John again, if you don't mind. 1 John 1, because you see the same thing in this other letter as well. You see this theme throughout John's writings. Verse 3, what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see this clear foundational theme in John's writings. In John's ministry as a spiritual father, his desire for relationship. He says here that his joy may be complete as we are face to face. You see this yearning in him to be with the people of God. And this desire for relationship is not some random desire because John likes people. It's rooted in something even deeper. Go to verse 7 in 2 John, and you see what it's rooted in as he's warning these people. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. There's these false teachers that are going out and spreading a false gospel. It's this right here. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. There are these people that are saying that Jesus Christ, God, was not in the flesh. And John knows something very, very deep and true, that Jesus was in the flesh. He was an in-the-flesh kind of God. He was an in-your-face, in-the-neighborhood kind of God, because he knew this, that at the heart of this right here is a relational God. He was not distant. He said, if you miss this, you're being deceived, that our God came and put on flesh. That's essential to who we are. We are relational people because God is relational. God is three in one. And this Trinitarian God has lived forever in perfect community. And then we are made in the image of God, right? Of this triune communal God, we're made in this image. But then sin came and we're at war with God and at war with each other. And see, the first kind of foundation we have as we walk with Jesus is our relationship with God. Our first foundation is relationship. But in this relationship, you see something else that John is after. Go to verse 5 in 2 John. He says here, so now I ask you, dear lady, 
not as if I were writing you a new command. There's nothing new here, John says. I've got no new great word. I have the same thing over and over. It's the same we had from the beginning, he says. What you see John doing here is John is repeating himself. So I want you to hear these two foundational themes as we walk with Jesus. It's relationship and repetition. As a child of God, what you need in your life is relationship and repetition. If you're a spiritual parent to someone else, what you need is relationship and repetition. If you're a father of a child in this room, what your child needs is relationship and repetition. It's the foundation for walking with him. This is the soil, the soil that is the foundation for spiritual growth. It's this safety of covenant love and the nutrients of the truth of the gospel being preached over and over and over again. Outside of those two things, growth will not happen. It will not happen. And I think that's where many of us are starving today. We're absolutely starving today because we do not feel safe around anyone and we are not fully known. There is no covenantal love and so we don't feel safe and we're not fully known. And we're walking around as a bunch of shadow selves not being known and wondering why we're not growing spiritually. I'm not calling us out, but I do want to call us up to something more. This about two weeks ago. Um, so I was on a three-week uh, study break, got a few things done, and I was... Um, Week one, I've been off four or five days, and I talked to a good friend of mine who's helped kind of mentor and coach me for about 10 years now. And I was talking to him, and I was like, dude, I can, like, take on the world. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He just listened, didn't say anything. And then he simply was like, well, the reason you have energy is because you've rested. He said, Jason, this is not a marathon, but a sprint. If you want to live your life doing this ministry, you have to learn to jog and not to sprint because the work is already done. It's already accomplished. You're not adding anything to God's work. And that's the picture of relationship repetition because my friend Logan has told me this thousands of times, but thousands of times my soul needs to hear that. That I have to be open and honest. I need someone to lovingly fill in the gaps, the sins in my heart with the truth of the gospel. And in that moment, in that day, you know what I did? I rested. I had real freedom. I had real joy. But here is, in a sense, the curse of us being beset with sin. Is the next day I'd forgotten the good news. By the grace of God, there's other Christians, brothers, and sisters who were there to remind me of this good news. But friends, if we are always walking around not being known, if we expect a once-a-week talk from a platform to fill in those gaps, we're sadly mistaken. It's never going to be enough because you're not known and you're not having the good news repeated to you on the ground. I was with friends this week who were tired, who were beat down by life. And in 30 minutes, they were encouraged by the gospel. And I simply said this, I'm so glad you're encouraged today, but guess what? Tomorrow's coming. And we need this encouragement more than we know. 
And the truth is, this is the simple rhythm of the Christian life. You're not always going to have fireworks when this happens. This is like the vegetables of what we do. We show up, we preach the gospel to each other, we leave somewhat more encouraged, we're changed from one degree of glory to another, and we keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going. But you know, in this kind of post-COVID world, I'll just speak kind of freely for a moment as uh, one of your pastors and your friends and a brother in Christ, so don't get mad at me. Uh, we have taken, taken the, for the, the assembly of the body of Christ, the rhythm of gathering on a Sunday, the rhythm of gathering, gathering over coffee and just confessing our sins. We have forsaken this rhythm and replaced it with lesser things. Friends, I will tell you, the Christian life is not simply receiving content. The Christian life is meant to be experienced one another in deep fellowship, in deep knownness. And if we do not have those things, we're always going to be, in a sense, starving spiritually and not thriving, not living an abundant life. But imagine this picture. And this is happening in corners of our faith family where people are not comparing their strengths, they're comparing what God has done in their life. And they're just known. And if you talk to these people who've just kind of confessed it all and they walk with like this bounce because they're free and they're known and they're growing. But too many of us, we are content to hide in the shadows and give each other this shadow version of ourselves. We need relationship and we need repetition. But there's more because this is the foundation for how we walk as Jesus' followers. But John also gives a warning. Look at verse 7. He says here, many deceivers have gone out into the world. There are deceivers, hear, hear this friends, there are deceivers thousands of years ago, and there's many deceivers today. And they do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you don't lose what we have worked for, that you may receive a full reward. Verse 9, anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching that goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching this one has both the Father and the Son. Here is the warning. Lies lead to leaving. Lies lead to leaving. And friends, this is true in Scripture. This is true in my experience as a Christian and as a pastor. If we walk in disconnection and lies long enough, the end result is leaving the beautiful, historic, and true gospel message. Do not play with the fire of the lies of the enemy. Scripture tells us, God tells us to flee from the lies. It doesn't mean we don't doubt or ask questions or seek or search. It doesn't mean any of those things. But, but here's what I see. Is we stop walking in fellowship. We stop hearing the truth of the gospel for, for days and weeks and months, sometimes years. And then we're surprised when we doubt the truth of the gospel. This is the direction as we just give ourselves over to lies. 
These lies are subtle. The lies are real. And it's so easy to drift. We were um, at the beach a few weeks ago. It's why I look so good right now with this great tan um, in Beachbot. And we were at the beach, and it was the, what's the flags? The, the red flags every day. And we almost lost Tracy and Hattie and Connor. Um, I'm not joking, actually. Uh, there was this one day I, I'm sitting uh, at the chair uh, taking care of Hayes, the oldest child, by myself, while she has two youngest, youngest kids, um, in the scary ocean. And um, I'm sitting there watching, and Tracy and Connor and Hattie are just getting farther and farther and farther and farther away. And then I was like, man, this doesn't look right. And so I slowly get up and um, walk towards um, the beach. And all I see is Tracy doing this right here, <laughs> like this right here, like come and get me. And um, she did say that Hattie was the calmest one of all three of them in that right there. Like she just started kicking and going and got them safe. But it's this reminder, it's like at a beach, right? Like you're right here and you get pushed slowly and slowly and slowly, but you look up and you're in real danger. And the lies of the deceivers of this world work the exact same way. We'll disconnect for just for a season. I've got to finish this project. Work is crazy. My kids have this thing. So for the next three to six months, I'm going to be kind of away from the fellowship Friends, that is very dangerous territory because we can't absolutely leave the faith. This is the warning John has. You can walk in lies long enough that you will leave the faith. And here's kind of the warning I want to echo today is this right here. You are not strong enough to continue in the faith without relationship and repetition. We're not strong enough, friends. We'll begin to center our lives on something other than Jesus. We'll want something more. We'll want a new word and we'll center our lives on something other than Jesus. You know, the church has done this on some level, right? For a lot of my existence, the church has kind of almost switched away from the truth of this message and relationship and it's gone to this right here. We've gone to pragmatism on how to live the better life and like this attractional kind of show you come to. Where the church is like, how do you live this better life? And how do I hear from an expert on stage? Which is away from the truth of the gospel and fellowship, deep fellowship with one another. We've exchanged those two things. And many people have left that to find something else. Because the church has done us a disservice. Because the church at its core is the people of God rehearsing the good news of God in all of life. Not simply from an expert on stage. Not that we're experts, by the way. Um, listen, if you're not tethered to people and being reminded throughout your life of the truth of the gospel, you will drift. So here, here are three ways we're tempted. I, I read this this week. I thought it was so good. Three ways that we are tempted in, this, in, in our current context. First, an, an over-focused on money and really stuff which is really this religion of materialism, is what it really is. And at the core of that mission that we drift to is this right here. We say this phrase, things and stuff are ultimate. And the religion of materialism, we believe that stuff and things are ultimate. And friends, we can easily drift into this lie. Second, a focus on sex, a focus on pleasure. 
that leads the religion of hedonism. And the mission is this right here, that pleasure is ultimate. Comfort is ultimate. I'll give my entire life to find comfort and pleasure. Third, a focus on power that leads the religion of narcissism. And here is the mission of that religion, that I am ultimate, that life is all about me. And these lies, of course, are prevalent in the world around us. But friends, also, they can subtly seep into the church. Well, power and pride and money and comfort and pleasure and sex are really what drives us. So the question I have for myself this week is what is really driving me? What is getting me out of bed? Is it being known and liked? Is it accumulating more stuff to make me feel better? Is it pleasure? Is it comfort? John is saying, watch out for these false idols. They will lead you down a path that you don't want to go down. And the sad part is we kind of, when we don't heed the warning, we walk in the lies and then we forget the mission that God's called us to. What's our last point is the mission of God. Go to verse 6 if you don't mind. This is love. John lays it out for us. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. And this is the command that we've heard from the beginning. John's like, I've, I've says, and if you go to John's writings, this is in John's writings over and over and over again. Here's the mission. It's love and obedience. The, the mission of followers of Jesus is love and obedience. And as we walk in love and obedience, God does supernatural things. John makes it very clear here that we're called to love one another through obedience to Jesus. Hear this, friends. Love is not purely sentimental, and obedience is not purely sterile. They're the, they come together. We want to separate these things many times. I'm going to love, I'm going to work, I'm going to sing great songs, and I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to stop worshiping love, and I'm going to obey. You can't separate love and obedience. Obedience is rooted in love. And love is fleshed out in obedience. Obedience is rooted in love. It's rooted in love. And love is fleshed out in obedience. This echoes what John says in 1 John 1.7, where he says, Walking in the light, walking in obedience leads to fellowship. They go hand in hand. The greatest way to love God and our neighbors is by following the words of Jesus. Just think about it for a minute. Jesus says, do not look on another with lust. So loving to the opposite sex to not see them as an object of sexual desire, but a brother and sister in Christ. Obeying his commands leads to functionally loving each other. He says, do your good works in secret. As we serve one another in secret, we're not looking to be lifted up, but to purely love God and to serve others. This creates fellowship. He says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. He says here to honor your commitments. What is more loving than to do what you say you're going to do? He says, give a cup of water to the thirsty. To love the, to functionally love the least of these. As we obey the commands of God, we love God and his people. 
And it's also clear that God frowns upon us walking in love without obedience. This is all in the Old Testament, but 1 Samuel it says this. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offering sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. Imagine this. Imagine I say, I get home today. It's Father's Day too, so my kids really obey me. And I say, Hayes and Connor, go clean your rooms. And they start singing songs of how great I am. Oh, Father, you are great and holy and beautiful. They just sing to me for hours. But their room is not cleaned up. That is not loving. It's not loving at all. Imagine this. If I ask you to come house sit for me. And um, I'm gone for a month on this great trip. I come home and my house is a wreck. Like there's stuff everywhere. My bushes are out of control. The lawn's crazy. Nothing is kept up. I'm like, I thought you were going to take care of my house. Oh, well, Jason, every night I got on my hands and my knees and I sang songs about you. And I prayed to you. And I did all these things to worship you and to love you. It's like, yeah, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. That's not loving. That's the ultimate sign of hypocrisy and disrespect, isn't it? Love and obedience go hand in hand. But the opposite is true. If I ask my kids to clean their room, and they go and they clean their room with the whole time, we've all seen this, haven't we? They have this scowl on their face, and they're like, oh, my dad, he's just, he's just the worst. I just can't stand him. The whole time they're doing this, it's not loving as well either, is it? Because obedience is rooted in love, and love is fleshed out obedience. And the apostle John, in writing these letters, repeating this truth over and over again, he has to have John 17 in mind. He has to, about loving one another and about obedience, because it echoes the words of Jesus in his great prayer when he says this, it's by their love of one another that the world will know the love of the Father. It's by their love for one another that the world will know the love of the Father. Here's how we love. Here's how love and obedience fulfills the mission. This is the way that we walk as followers of Jesus. We walk in love and obedience. See, when we obey from our... It's freeing, it's accessible. There we go, I didn't fall stage. as opposed to this right here, to obedience without love, which many times, if we're honest, has marked the way we follow Jesus. Obedience without love is cold and it's dead. And the world has seen, honestly, the followers of Jesus obey without love and they see a cold and a dead faith. They do. But the opposite is true as well. If we love we sing great songs, we worship, but there's no obedience. We're the ultimate hypocrites. And here is, I think, the damning part for us today in the church, is that many times the world has seen both. The world has seen dead religion and hypocrisy because we have forgotten the core of who we are, of how we walk, which is our foundation of relationship and repetition, 
we have not heeded the, wor- the warnings of John, which these lies lead to leaving, and we have lost the mission of obedience and love. Friends, hear this. I want you to hear this today. There is abundant life found in the way of Jesus. There's abundant life in walking in this countercultural way. So a few points of application. There's joy in being known by others, being reminded and encouraged in the truth. So here's what I ask you to do. If you don't have that person in your life, if there's not a person in your life that's encouraging you, that knows you, that might challenge you, mark it on your card. Just say, I need a person. I'm struggling. I feel alone. Just say, I need a person. Part of our hope as a faith family is to connect each other to this kind of fellowship so that nobody's doing life alone. Every person needs a person, right? So let us know. If there's not a person in your life, let us know who that could be. Second, I'll say this. There is joy in being aware of what can poison you. And you might be here today, and you might have limped in this room. Hear this. There's no judgment today or condemnation. God sees you. God loves you. But but as one of your pastors and your friends and your brother in Christ, if you're like on the line, you're believing the lies, you're ready to give up, you're doubting the truths of the gospel, just say, just let us know. Say, I need help. Say, please contact. Just let us know how we can partner with you as you are on that line of believing the lies and walking away from the goodness and the good news of the gospel. And there is joy in giving your life to others. Maybe you've experienced what it's like to have a spiritual parent in your life. Someone who's been there for you, encouraged you, challenged you, but now it's your turn. It's your turn to go and parent somebody else. Maybe there's space in your life, you're in a season of life where you want to pour into someone else. Let us know. Right on your card, I I, want to help someone else. So we can see this full circle of this spiritual fellowship where we receive spiritual parenting and then we give spiritual parenting. It's praying this morning, this right here, is don't lose hope. As I was gone for two or three weeks and I would look at your faces right now, um, I prayed all the time because I wasn't around and I couldn't, you know, do anything or I wasn't supposed to. And, um, and I didn't want to, honestly. And so, um, but, I, but I prayed because, friends, it is so easy to lose hope. So easy to lose hope. But hear this today. You're here. You're here. God sees you. God loves you. God is stirring in you right now to not lose hope. Because there's always this feeling that, like, I've just done too much. I've tried. Have you ever been there before? Where you try again and again and again, and you keep failing, you keep failing. Hear this. God is not repulsed by you. God is still pursuing you with a hot, loving pursuit of a father for a child. So do not lose hope. Turn your attention to him. And you hear lists like, 
be in a relationship and do this, and you feel overwhelmed, and I understand that. Here's my, if, if that's you today, just do this. Simply turn to him. We're in the back. We have a team that wants to pray with you and encourage you. As you might just feel beyond repair. No person is beyond repair. God sees you. God loves you. God is pursuing you. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. That you who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of Jesus. And Father, I pray that no matter where people are today, we take a step to walk in step with you. That maybe we've been running away from God for a long time. But today is a new day. And your mercies are new today. And you are pursuing your children. So, Father, I I pray that you give us um, the steadfastness, the faithfulness, the courage to not lose hope, but to keep pursuing you. Father, we ask you to move in hearts even right now. You're faithful, you're good, you're holy, and you're loving. We love you, Jesus, and we ask and pray all this in your name. Amen. As we um, conclude our time today, we take communion. What a great picture of relationship and this great reminder of the gospel. That our God did not stay far off, but our God came near, didn't he? He put on flesh, lived this perfect substitute life for me. And so we partake in communion, we say, This body, this flesh was broken because of me. And he poured out his blood, literal blood, he poured out to cover our sins so that our sins could be washed away. And it's through this sacrifice that he created this family. He created the church. So we come together out of the same baskets and we take, I know it's bought from Amazon, but it is still this picture of the body and the blood of Jesus. So listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're still just kind of checking out the Christian faith, this is not for you. I will chat with you in the back, but this is for people who have put their faith in Jesus because as we take communion, we are declaring by partaking that Jesus is enough. So before you come, I would encourage you, talk to God, do time with him. Come when you're ready.